Good morning. All right, we're getting better. One more time. Good morning. Welcome to In-Person Chapel, Wednesday, October 9th. My name is Paul Brandis, and I serve here at Sterling College as the chaplain, which is my deep honor and joy to do so. Thank you for gathering with us in person, or maybe you're tuning in later on video. However you are engaging chapel, we're grateful that you are. We do this because we believe very deeply that Jesus is Lord, that he is risen, and that he is worthy of our worship. Uh, We're in like our seventh week of chapel, and so far we've had identical services on Wednesday and Friday each week, and then there's been a video produced if you weren't able to gather with us in person. Uh, Today is a normal chapel, but Friday is a little different. Uh, We have a diversity committee here at Sterling College. We are deeply committed to the important work of cultural diversity because we believe it is very near and dear to God's heart, and he cares about it. And so this group has been doing an assessment into our strengths and weaknesses as an organization related to that topic over the past uh, 12 to 15 months or so, and we're we're ready to present some of those findings to you all. So uh, that is already uh, sold out. That's happening on Friday instead of this service, uh, which is happening today, happening again on Friday. We're going to do a special diversity committee presentation. It's already sold out, which is exciting, but it's also a, a bummer if you're watching this and you missed it or you weren't able to sign up. So we're actively looking at other ways to bring that information to you, other spaces, maybe grabbing a Friday chapel in a few weeks and doing the same pre presentation again. We'll get you uh, all the info you need on that. We know it's a bummer in one sense that it's already sold out, but that is what is happening on Friday, and we're excited to do that. I'm also excited about next week. Uh, There is a match made in heaven, and it's homecoming week. Let's hear it for homecoming. Woo! Yes! It's also Spiritual Emphasis Week. I won't make you cheer for that. That's okay. It's Homecoming Week. It's also Spiritual Emphasis Week. Uh, Spiritual Emphasis Week is something we do every year here at Sterling College. Normally, that happens in February. Uh, It's not February. It is October. So we have moved Spiritual Emphasis Week. Uh, it's It's a part of our annual rhythm here in the Spiritual Life Department to emphasize spiritual matters. Uh, we, we do that a lot, but once a year, we do a Spiritual Emphasis Week and do it even more. Uh, there's a lot I could say about Spiritual Emphasis Week, but there's two uh, sort of key components that we're always looking for. I want to bring in an incredible outside speaker for that time. We always want to bring in incredible outside speakers, but maybe especially during Spiritual Emphasis Week. And we're looking also at other opportunities for you to be spiritually formed, and a lot of times that matches with extra chapel credit. Uh, So both of those things are happening next week, and we've paired up Spiritual Emphasis Week with Homecoming Week. Our uh, outside speaker, I could not be more excited about. He's an alumni um, from the class of 2002, which I don't want to ask how many of you were not born yet or had just been born yet, uh, but that is when Joe Skillen graduated from Sterling College. He's one of actually my close friends. He was an adjunct professor here when I was a student, so that's how I got to know Joe, and he currently is a pastor of young adults down at Eastminster Presbyterian Church in Wichita, which is a church that's very close to us. We've got a great relationship with them. Joe is going to be incredible. He's going to be so good that I'm offering next week chapel as double credit. 
So when I send out that sign up on Mondays, we're gonna, you really wanna sign up for that. Uh, and I'm probably gonna figure out a way for you not to be able to sign up for your friends. I, I love that you do that. I love that, but it just makes the sign ups go so quickly. So I'm probably gonna figure that out because you know, if like you don't you happen to be checking your email right when I send it out and someone's like, ah, I'm gonna sign up for seven people that I know and love, that's great. Love the support that you're giving to one another there, but we wanna give a fair opportunity for everyone to be able to sign up. So Joe, next week, it's double credit. Identical services on Wednesday and Friday, like we've been typically doing, it will be provided for you on video, and you can come on Wednesday and get two credits, uh, or you can come on Friday and get two credits, or you can watch Joe on video later and get two credits. So you don't want to miss Joe. So that's one part of Spiritual Emphasis Week. I'm also partnering with a bunch of other uh, organizations, a bunch of other folks to offer other events during Spiritual Emphasis Week. So everybody say, yay, SGA! SGA is the best. We are so thrilled by the executive cabinet of SGA uh, under the leadership of Paige Sheradin, um, and they're doing amazing work. And uh, Nicole Marin, as the secretary, has put together an amazing homecoming schedule, and I'm partnering with them on Sunday night for the balloon release. That's at 7 p.m. in Smizer Stadium, so that's a part of Spiritual Emphasis Week, and I'll go through the rest of their events in a moment. I'm also partnering with FCA. Everybody say, yay, FCA! FCA stands for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I love, 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 love FCA. They meet every other night, every other Sunday night, every other week on Sunday evenings. And there is also a special uh, uh, FCA Spiritual Life joint event on Wednesday, uh, October 14th. So you could get three chapel credits next Wednesday if you come to chapel in the morning and if you come to Fields of Faith. Fields of Faith is a national event. This will be happening at football fields uh, and stadiums all over over the country, all over the world. We're going to do one here. I could not be more excited about this. It's really simple. Worship, student testimony. Um, I'll do a little bit of speaking, but it's going to be great, and it's offered for a chapel credit, and there will be no sports practices happening because I've talked to all of your coaches, and I've said, hey, protect Wednesday, October 14th at 7 p.m. so that all of our students can come gather at Smizer Stadium, get a chapel credit, hear from their fellow students, do some worship, and there'll be some high schoolers there as well that we're inviting uh, for FCA. So you do not have to be an athlete to come to this. I mean, I hope all our athletes do, um, but if you're a non-athlete, please come and gather, get a chapel credit, join us for Fields of Faith. Uh, then on Friday, we're dedicating Gleason. That's a part of Spiritual Emphasis Week. There are posters all over campus. You cannot miss it. Uh, I've put them up in a lot of different places, so Spiritual Emphasis Week. But it's not just Spiritual Emphasis Week. I feel like I'm a, I don't know, like a used car salesman or something. Uh, it's also Homecoming Week. Woo! Okay, so homecoming week. Here's what we got for homecoming week. The, uh, I have already mentioned Sunday we have uh, the balloon release. Um, so that's myself and SGA is partnering on that event. That's happening 7 p.m. Uh, out at uh, Smizer Stadium. And that is going to be... Um, uh, a, a, uh, we're going to feature there um, three um, particular... Uh, I mean, how would I say that? We're going to talk about domestic violence. We're going to talk about Down syndrome. We're going to talk about breast cancer awareness. So we're releasing balloons uh, in honor of those um, struggles that people face. So that is Sunday, October 11th at 7 p.m. Uh, on Monday, we have... Next slide. We have a, a Hawaiian Day color run that starts at Sputnik. Chick-fil-A will be uh, happening uh, after the color run behind the library. On Tuesday, it's Jersey Day. Salsa night will be in Upper Wilson at 7 p.m. I think that's 
salsa dancing, but then you can have salsa with your Taco Bell at 8 p.m., also in Upper Wilson. Next slide. Uh, on Wednesday, we've already mentioned the FCA Fields of Faith at Smizer Stadium. It's camo day, and there will be Wendy's that will happen in the West Calf. So after we finish at Smizer with FCA, go across campus to the West Calf and get some uh, Wendy's. On Thursday, uh, Tacky Tourist Day, donuts at 8 a.m. So double snacks that day. Donuts at 8 a.m. outside the Calf, and then yard games and pumpkin painting at 7 p.m. behind the library, and then pan bread at 9 p.m. in the West Calf. On Friday, we have Twin Day, so there's some people that are going to have an unfair advantage on that. Bangert sisters, I'm looking at you. Uh, the bonfire at 9 p.m. behind Douglas Y, uh, and that's as a sort of a spirit fest. Um, so the cheerleaders are going to do some stuff there. Everybody say, yay, cheerleaders. Yay. Hey, I did it. I shouted out the cheer team. Okay. And... <laughs> And then we're going to, um, I'll be there at that as well, and we'll do a prayer for Team Spirit before the football game, which is happening on Saturday, October 17th, Smizer Stadium, 1.30 p.m., and we're going to do the coronation during halftime. Okay. Oh, my goodness. All right. So, homecoming week, a lot is happening. Please gather and do these things safely. So, masks are going to be required at these events. Uh, do this safely, but we wanted to provide still a fun homecoming for you to do that. Uh, worship band, you guys can come up on stage. Um, again, mutual support, right? We talk about this all the time. Uh, SGA has put an amazing homecoming together, uh, and you should want to support SGA because they are supporting you uh, in doing these amazing events and, and, uh, and putting these on. So uh, please make uh, plans to be a part of Spiritual Emphasis Week and Homecoming Week starting on Sunday, uh, and then we're excited about all of that. So at this point, what I would like you guys to do is actually stand. Um, we have talked about different types of worship, which is fundamentally a response to who God is and what he does. Um, and uh, we are going to, um, at this point, do some participatory worship. And so we would invite you to keep your masks on. Um, but as the band leads us here in our first song for the morning, would you please sing with us? And actually, let me say a quick prayer to even just calm our hearts and minds before we get into that. Father in heaven, you are good and you do good. And I'm so excited about all the good that is coming in Spiritual Emphasis Week, all the good that is coming in Homecoming Week, Lord. Thank you for the opportunities to still do things like that. Uh, even in the midst of a strange and different sort of semester, uh, you remain a good God who is in control in the midst of the chaos. And so, Lord, we respond to you with some singing together, some responsive, participatory worship as we sing out here. We pray that it honors and glorifies you and prepares our hearts to hear Hear what it is that you have for us today from your word. I pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Speak your name, we lift our eyes. 
by your greatness and your goodness, God, even um, even in seasons of doubt, God, and not understanding what's going on, what you're doing in our lives, God, you're still so good, and we're so thankful for that. Um, I pray that this time of um, worship and this time of just being in your word and just being with you will be a time of rest for us in this um, chaotic time of the semester, God. I pray that... Um, you be with Paul as he goes through this message and that you just allow your spirit to speak through him and um, you just remove all distractions and for whoever's listening and in attendance, God, that you would just open our hearts and our minds so we can be receptive of your word. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. 
You can go ahead and be seated. Well, there's a Bible verse near the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians that fascinates me. I simply can't shake this verse. I've found myself returning to it over and over and over again. 1 Thessalonians is written by the Apostle Paul, who was one of the first followers of Jesus. We talk about Paul all the time here in chapel because, well, he wrote a good bit of the New Testament portion of our Bibles, and I think he also happened to be brilliant And quite a lot of what he said, if not all of what he said, is worth thinking about. Like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Now before we look at that verse together, let's remember that 1 Thessalonians is a letter. In fact, all of Paul's writings that are included in the Bible is letters, either to individual followers of Jesus or to churches, which are groups of followers of Jesus. You see, the early followers of Jesus, they had a lot of challenges trying to figure all of this out. Can you imagine being one of the first followers of Jesus and all that you had to navigate as this thing got started? And so Paul, he wrote to them to try to help them. And I find it incredible that 2,000 plus years later, what he wrote is still helpful. It's still relevant. It's still compelling. Like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. That verse begins this way. Make it your ambition to. Make it your ambition to. Now, now we need to stop right there because I'm already intrigued. Uh, what do you expect the Apostle Paul to say next? I mean, that word ambition is just jam-packed, isn't it? Uh, what do you think of when you hear that word? One of the first images that came to my mind was a super successful Wall Street trader, right? Maybe the pinnacle of what we would say is greedy ambition. Maybe someone like Leo's character from The Wolf of Wall Street, right? You know, raise a glass. Or how about this list that I found online, examples of ambition. Make it your ambition to travel the world, live to 100, write a best-selling novel, win the lottery. I don't, okay. Buy a house. Learn a second language, be financially secure, on and on and on. Make it your ambition too. Well, let me ask you this. What is your ambition? What is your ambition? I mean, maybe you're thinking of something off that list. Or maybe your answer to that question is different. Or maybe you're thinking that since the beginning of this phrase... Make it your ambition too, is in the Bible, you already know the answer. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Oh, I know what the answer to this is. It's going to be something like, make it your ambition to pray a lot. Pray without ceasing. Make it your ambition to glorify God. Make it your ambition to love others. Which, that would make sense, right? It's in the Bible. What, what should our ambition be? What would the Bible say our ambition should be? But no. Here it is. The end of 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That's, that's really it, I promise. You can look it up. I promise. That's it. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And I, I, I know that's confusing. Like, how does ambition fit with leading a quiet life? Those two seem opposed to me, don't they? And what does Paul mean by a quiet life? You might be thinking, "Ah, I don't know. That sounds a bit boring. 
I'm out. But hold on a second. Zoom out with me and let's see what is happening around this verse. So we're starting with this verse, but this verse is in a particular context. There are other words and other sentences that are around this verse. So let's see what is happening. Right before this verse, at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul spends some time addressing the controversial and difficult subject of sexuality. Okay? And right after this verse... At the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul spends some time addressing the controversial and difficult subject of what happens to Christians who have died. Now, don't worry. I don't want to talk about either one of those things this morning, okay? So you can rest easy. You can go ahead and relax. I bring it up, though, because what I want to point out is that Paul places this invitation to lead a quiet life right in the middle of two incredibly difficult topics. Topics that I'm sure were causing just a touch of chaos in the church that he was writing to. Chaos. That's one of my words for 2020. (laughs) We started the semester actually out chewing on that word a bit, didn't we? Our verse of the year is located in the Old Testament book of Lamentations, chapter 3. And as we studied that in the first chapel of the year, our big takeaway was that even in the midst of the chaos, God remains in control. Chaos. I believe that in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, Paul is offering us a brilliant antidote to chaos. A brilliant answer to chaos. And it's really fairly simple. Quiet. Quiet. Now, as I dug into this word quiet a bit more, I realized it's richer than what we first might notice on the surface. Let me switch out some endings of this verse some paraphrases of what I think this word is getting at and see if they might land with us a bit more. Make it your ambition to slow down. Make it your ambition to just stop every once in a while. Make it your ambition to create some space for rest. Does anyone else ever feel like all they do is just go, 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 go? That can't just be me, can it? Is anyone else tired of saying, I'm good, but busy, whenever anyone asks how you're doing? Is anyone else sick of all the noise? And just in desperate need of some quiet? Here's what I think Paul is saying at the heart of 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Quiet is an antidote to chaos. Quiet is an antidote to chaos. And I don't know about you, but my soul needs that.
like desperately needs that. And it just leads me to this question. It's our driving question for the morning. What is the greatest enemy of quiet? What is the greatest enemy of quiet? I think there's a number of answers that we could offer that would be worthy to this question. But one answer, one enemy, rises above all the rest in my mind. And right now, that enemy is either in your pocket, in your bag, or it's in your hand. To me, the greatest enemy to quiet is the smartphone. And listen, I'm obviously not totally against smartphones. Uh, this one that I'm holding right now is, uh, well, it's mine. I, or else it'd be really weird that somebody else had a picture of my son Owen on it. Uh, so I'm obviously not totally against smartphones. That would be incredibly hypocritical. But as we close our four-week teaching series, a close reading of, dot, 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 a close reading of, where we've been examining different cultural artifacts, I could think of no better place to end. A close reading of the iPhone. We have to talk about this. In fact, one sermon won't be enough. We're going to likely circle back to this topic in the spring semester for an extended conversation. Because here's what I believe with absolutely no hyperbole whatsoever. I, I believe this desperately. I believe this. The advances that we have seen in technology in the last 20 plus years are shaping and forming us in incredible ways and we are doing almost zero critical examination of that. The advances in technology in the last 20 plus years are shaping and forming us in incredible Mount Everest size ways and we are doing almost zero critical examination of that. Now, there are people who are examining technology, studying technology critically, and they're making really smart and thoughtful points. I'm just not sure that we're listening to them all that much. But we should. Listen to what author Neil Postman says. He writes this, Technology must never be accepted as part of the natural order of things. Every technology, from an IQ test to an automobile to a television set to a computer, is a product of a particular economic and political context and carries with it a program, an agenda, and a philosophy that may or may not be life-enhancing and that therefore requires scrutiny, criticism, and control. I mean, Neil is making my point for me. What we use and what we consume shapes us, forms us, and so we must scrutinize it. We must analyze it. We must question it. And do you want to know the scary part about this quote? He wrote this in 1993. It was 27 years ago. We've made a few technological advances since 1993, haven't we? I'd say so. And none bigger than the smartphone. Yes, 
the internet was a massive technological change in our world. But the smartphone put the internet in your pocket. Listen to pastor and author John Mark Comer talking about all the changes and advances we've experienced in technology in the past few decades. He actually zeroes in. He zeroes in on the year 2007. The year 2007 is being really pivotal, and here's what he writes. He says, in 2007, drum roll, the year Steve Jobs released the iPhone into the wild. Note, it was also a few months after Facebook opened up to anybody with an email address, the year a microblogging app called Twitter became its own platform, year one of the cloud along with the App Store, the year Intel switched from silicon to metal chips to keep Moore's Law on a roll, and a list of other technological breakthroughs all right around 2007, and here's the crucial point, the official start of the digital age. The world has radically changed in a few short years. In a very recent memory, none of us had a smartphone or Wi-Fi access. Now, we can't imagine living without something that didn't even exist when my first child was born. Now, here's why this is really, really, really important this morning. Don't raise your hands, because it will make me feel shockingly old. But how many of you were 10 years old in 2007? How many of you are nine years old? Again, don't raise your hands. I don't want to feel bad about myself. How many of you are eight years old, seven years old, or even six years old in the year 2007? The reality is that the vast majority of you are what people have called digital natives. Digital natives. You cannot remember a time in the world without smartphones, without Wi-Fi, without the internet. Or maybe if you can, it's only just barely And again, this is not all bad. It's not. I'm a dedicated iPhone user. I have been for years. I've been using the internet since I was in middle school. It was old school AOL dial-up style, and I would AAM, aim my friends, right? I'm not anti-technology, I promise. I just agree with Neil Postman. We need to put it under the microscope. We need to scrutinize it. Because here's the deal, folks. Here's the deal, friends. Technology is not neutral. Technology is not neutral. Now, maybe you're disagreeing with me in your heads right now. You're thinking something, the logic goes something like this. Wait a second. No, yeah, it is. It's neutral. It's neutral. Technology is just a tool. It's neutral. It's not good or evil. It all depends on how you use it. Have you heard that before? Have you thought that before? And on one level, I agree. Technology is not inherently morally good or inherently morally evil. But by saying it is neutral, we totally neglect the powerful ways in which we are shaped, formed, and changed when we use it. Take this shovel, for example. No, I'm not going to go walking dead somebody. But think about this. What is it? It's a tool, right? This is a tool. So this is not inherently morally good or inherently morally evil. It is not. But what happens if I use it over and over and over again? What happens if I quit my job as a chaplain and I just became a shovel user? That's not a job. 
I became someone that had a job that used a shovel all the time. What would happen to me? I'd grow calluses on my hands. I'd actually maybe have some muscles somewhere. (laughs) If I had to lift heavy things over and over and over again, day in and day out, here's the point. As you use tools, just the very using of them changes you. So yes, in one sense, this is neutral. Yes, in one sense, this phone as a tool is neutral. But as we use the tools that God has given us, they change us. They do. And we have to ask, are they changing us in good ways? Are they changing us in good ways? We have to ask. The average iPhone user touches their phone 2,600 times a day. The average person in Generation Z, which is most of y'all, born 1997 or later, spends at least five hours on their smartphone every single day. It might even be more than that. The trend is going up, not down. And listen, I get it. I know I sound like the old guy right now. (laughs) Just sort of yelling about technology, kids these days. I know that's what I sound like. I'm very, very aware. And I promise I'm not trying to do that. I am concerned for me, for you, for my kids. I'm concerned because somebody built the smartphone that you're holding right now. Somebody designed that with intention. Same thing with every social media site you ever log on to. And these folks have admitted that they designed it especially to capture your attention. To keep you engaged with it, on it, using it, never putting it down, unable to do so. They designed it that way. Listen to Sean Parker, the first president of Facebook, made famous by Justin Timberlake in The Social Network. Listen to what he says. God only knows what Facebook is doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. And that means that we need to sort of give you a dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. Next slide. And that's going to get you to contribute more content, and that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Can we just sit in that for a moment? Especially that last line. You are exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. What's that vulnerability? The need to be liked. The need to be affirmed. The need to be validated. But it's not just social media that grabs at our attention, is it? Let's talk about smartphone notifications for a second. Do you want to allow notifications? You've seen this before. Did you know that the specific color, red, used 
for your notifications on your phone was chosen because it is difficult to ignore. Like, what color can we find that the human brain can't ignore? Let's choose that color. You unlock your phone and you see a bunch of red flashing at you. And instead of doing what you were going to do, you're doing what now? You're checking. You're distracted. You check those notifications instead. Or you're finally locked in. You're finally locked in on that assignment that you have to get done. And you're cranking away and then what happens? Your phone dings at you. You've got another message, another snap, another email. Immediately what? You're distracted. Distracted. Multitasking is a myth. It doesn't exist. Don't come at me with that and say, oh, I'm good at multitasking. You're good at switch tasking. It's totally different. Science has pretty much proven that we cannot multitask. You switch task, and you lose something in the switch. Distracted. Does that word resonate with anyone else? It's kind of similar to a word we used earlier, isn't it? Chaos. Let's put those words together. The smartphone is brilliant at distracting you from the right now of where you physically are to pull you into the chaotic digital world of where you physically aren't. The smartphone is brilliant at distracting you from the right now of where you physically are to pull you into the chaotic digital world of where you physically aren't. And I just wonder, what is all of this doing to our hearts? What is all of this doing to our minds? What is all of this doing to our souls? Pastor John Mark Comer, again, he says, the need of the hour, the need of the hour is for a slow down spirituality. The need of the hour is for a slow-down spirituality. Or, where we started this morning, the Apostle Paul, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Are you starting to see the appeal of this? Even just a little bit. What's the greatest enemy of quiet. Here's the deal, friends. The digital world that we are all drawn to was first built to consume us so that it can exploit us for our money. Google attention economy. Attention economy. Google that. The digital world that we're drawn to, that we're all drawn to, myself included, was first built to consume us so that it can exploit us for our money. It was not first designed to help us. It was not first designed to help us answer the big questions of life. Who am I? Who is God? What is all of this for? I mean, sure, you can Google those questions. The internet will, quote, answer them for you. But can you trust those answers? 
Do you ever really feel satisfied after an hour or three of scrolling Instagram? Do you ever really feel filled up and content after your ninth episode of The Office streamed on your phone while lying in bed? Is it actually helpful to your heart and mind to constantly return to Snapchat over and over and over again just to check how many likes you got? Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Come. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Verse 2. Why spend money on what is not bread? And why spend labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear to me. Come to me. Listen that you may live. This is God speaking to us through the prophet Isaiah. And look again at verse 2. Look at this question. Resonate with you. Does it resonate with you in the same way it resonates with me? Why spend money on what is not bread? Why spend your labor on that which does not satisfy? Friends, unquestioned technology use does not satisfy. It will always leave you needing to come back for more. One more like. One more snap. One more minute. One more episode. It does not satisfy. It cannot satisfy. It will always leave you feeling thirsty. It will always leave you feeling parched. It will always leave you feeling desperate for more. We cannot find what we most need in technology. We can't find it there, and yet we keep returning to that well. It's empty. What you're drawing from there is not going to quench your thirst. But water is available. Water that will quench your thirst is available. The God of the universe says to you, he says, come, come to me, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you don't even have to have money. I will give you everything you need to be satisfied and it is free and available to you. You just got to walk away from that well that doesn't have anything in it. Come to me instead. And when we do, when we go to the Lord, what are we supposed to do? Verses 2 and 3 again, the Lord says, listen to me. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. We're supposed to listen to the Lord, which requires us to be quiet. Make it your ambition to live a quiet life, a listening life. One of my all-time favorite worship songs is Full Attention by Jeremy Riddle. And this line in it gets me every single time. May your voice be louder than all the others. God, may your voice be louder than all the others. Come, be quiet, listen. 
here's what I want to do right now. I actually want to practice this. I actually want to try this together. I want to practice this. I want to be quiet. And listen, I do not, you know me, I do not rail against this often. But if you're on your phone right now, which would be like, I don't know, all kinds of ironic, like just put it away. I humbly invite you, I humbly challenge you to put it away and engage this with me right now. What do you have to lose? I gotta let you go in like five minutes. If you're terrified to set your phone down and be quiet for a couple of minutes, that should tell you something about yourself. Hey, listen, there's times where I'm scared of the silence too. I don't like what I think. I don't like what I feel. I get distracted even when I'm trying to be quiet. I'm going to leave Isaiah 55 on the screen. And I'm also going to put up the beginning of Psalm 23. And I just, like, let's just sit here. Read, pray, listen. Let's just be quiet for a while. Here's some really practical things that I'm doing to try to curb the draw that happens in my life and in my heart towards technology. I'm with you in this struggle. So here's some really practical steps that I've taken. And I, I, I'll warn you, these are going to sound extreme to you. Be like, man, Paul is weird. I knew it. I knew he was weird. I have confirmation now. Um, and they might not be for you. But what if they are? Maybe try them for a day, for a week. 
mess around with it, find your way forward, but here's what I'm doing. I have no social media on my phone. I have Instagram, I never check it. My wife gets so mad at me. <laughs> check your Instagram. No. <laughs> no Twitter, no Facebook. I don't have, it's not even that I don't have the apps, I have blocked them on my browser. I just, I never walked away from scrolling feeling good. I always walked away feeling like garbage. So if I want to engage, I have them. If I want to engage, I have to go to my laptop. And 99 times out of 100, I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. Hey, my life is still okay. Okay? I've turned my phone to grayscale. A couple of you have noticed that. <laughs> like, why is your phone weird? Drives my wife crazy. <laughs> turned it to grayscale, which means there's no color because the colors assault you. I've got no notifications, this one's gonna blow your mind, no notifications on my phone other than phone calls. Not even messages. So I check my messages a lot so I don't miss texts, but I never wanna be pulled out of the right, the right now where I am by a text message. It can wait. If somebody needs me, they'll call me. If my wife needs me, she'll call me. It's the only notification I have on my phone. No email, no text, nothing. No red, ever except for phone calls, and that drives me crazy. When I get home from work, I put my phone away from me for at least an hour, usually two or more, so that I can be fully present with my family. And I need to get better at that and at all of this. I'm very much still on a journey here. And I'm not just resisting technology either. That's actually a losing strategy. I'm actually also trying to replace it, right? I'm not just not going to the well of technology. I am walking to the well and I'm saying yes to the invitation of the Lord to come and drink, to come and listen, to come. And I'm not perfect with this, but the replacement strategy for me is to try to start my mornings with the Bible, God's word, to try to start my morning with some prayer, a conversation with God. And yes, I get distracted. It's why I journal. So it pulls me out of that distraction. And at least part of that conversation, I'm just quiet. And I try to listen. And ultimately, through the Bible and through prayer, what I'm trying to do is get to know Jesus better. Isaiah didn't know about Jesus. Isaiah didn't know who was coming. But Jesus came. And in the Gospel of John, it says both that Jesus is the Word and it says that Jesus is living water. So through the Bible, through prayer, I'm trying to get to know Jesus better. I'm trying to listen to Jesus, the true Word. I'm trying to listen to Jesus and drink of Jesus, the living water. Because Jesus speaks a better word than technology. I don't need another like because I've already been liked by Jesus. You don't need another like to validate you or affirm you or approve you because you have already been loved and accepted by Jesus. Just come to his well and drink. I hope you know how much I love each and every one of you and how anytime I say something that's hard or difficult, it's not, yeah. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these students. Thank you for their listening ear to me, Lord. I pray that more than that, they listen to you this morning. I know I said some hard things about technology, Lord, and I pray that it would be a good seed that would land on good soil and would reap a harvest in the lives of these students. Thank you most of all for your word, um, your Bible, yes, but also and even more so your son Jesus, who is the word, who is the living water, who is available to us. If we come to him, if we come to him and are quiet, if we come to him and we listen, if we come to him, if we come to him and drink, Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful for Jesus. I pray all of this in his name. Amen. As I let you go here, and I know we're a minute over time, so apologies to the worship band and to all of you, uh, this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that John Mark Comer, I've quoted him a couple times today, I cannot recommend this book enough to you. In fact, um, well, I can't recommend that book enough uh, that I printed off a chapter of it. So if anything I said today interests you or intrigues you or you want to know more, uh, start here. Start here. Uh, and then, you know, maybe read more of Isaiah 55, maybe read more of Psalm 23, maybe do some listening. But hey, I love you all so much, your benediction this morning. So grab one of these on your way out. I don't have enough for everyone, but if they're gone, I have more in my office. Your benediction for this morning is 1 Thessalonians 4.11. How could it be anything else? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Thank you. Sorry I'm over time. iPads at the doors. If you're late to a class, blame it on me, et cetera, et cetera. You guys are great. Love you. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on video whenever you're taking this in. We wish you could have gathered with us here in person, but we're really grateful that you decided to engage in this way. If you are a student, uh, a full-time student that is uh, watching this for credit, uh, then if you're watching it in the I Attended app, all you need to do is watch until that countdown clock uh, is at 000. You exit out of the video and it's going to ask you your comprehension question to ensure you engage the video. If you're watching on YouTube, you're going to need this code that I'm about to give you. You'll enter the code into the enter code button on your iAttended app, and then once you hit submit on that code, it's going to ask you the comprehension question to, again, ensure that you engage the video. Uh, thanks again, and if you run into any problems with any of this, remember, just email me or stop by the Student Life Office. My email is paul.brandis at sterling.edu. The code for today's chapel is J as in jump, five, six, F as in frog, J-5-6-F. Thanks so much.